Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, all citizens of Earth. Welcome to Forum Borealis. Today we finally launch a new show in the series we call Between Adam and Eve that deals with in short anything to do with relationships. Now be warned, although we probably don't have many religious listeners or other folks who are alienated from life with artificial moral concepts, Americans make up half our listeners, and unfortunately, many of you are polluted with a Puritan culture. Unlike most Scandinavians, who in general are very relaxed to all things sexual and have no problem exploring it and talking about it. So, to avoid culture shock, you best skip this episode if you are uptight and prudish. If, however, you, like me, love to understand the world, the human condition, how we are wired, and what actually happens in the world, then you'll welcome the topic of today's show. See, we can learn more from peeking into our shadows and uncovering the taboos than ignoring them and going along with what is presented under the sun. Just as a tree needs its roots firmly fastened deep under the ground for its branches to stretch far into the sky, accordingly I've decided that before we explore the light side of love, sex and relationship, we ought to start with the darkness. So today, I welcome a sexologist who is willing to discuss so-called paraphilias which is the professional term for all things deviant. Obviously, it's limited how deep we can go into such a gigantic field in a mere show, so we will mainly go through some of the basic categories and understand what they are and muse a little around them. If you find it too superficial, then I recommend reading books or studying it professionally. We can only do so much in a mere show. Indeed, there's so many subcategories to go through. In fact, we had to skip many of them. And if some of those we do touch upon invokes aversion in you, you don't want to know some of those we didn't get around to. So due to the vastness of this field, we've singled out just one to explore in some depth. And that one is what seems to be the biggest taboo in our contemporary culture. In part one and two, we will walk through those that made the list, and in part three, we will immerse ourselves in this probably most controversial sexual kink. Be warned, though, as our regular listeners know, most of our shows follow the long-form conversational interview format, and today is no exception, so I will actively participate in this discussion, as agreed upon in advance with my guest. Another disclaimer I should throw in is that, unlike my guest, I'm not a professional, so I just couldn't help myself uttering a few subjective value judgments here and there. So if you're into one of those that I express personally not being comfortable with, 
then just don't mind my opinion as it shouldn't matter to you what I'm into or not, just as I don't care what your preferences are, or as long as it adheres to the golden rule, of course. And finally, if you disagree with me or my guest, or both, about anything we touch upon today, fine. This isn't a political debate, so be mature enough to accept that people will differ in their views, attitudes and preferences without hating on those who aren't in goose step with our own. We're all products of our environment and our nature, so it is as imbecile as it is futile to expect otherwise when it comes to this matter. Now, let's get to the guest presentation. As a seasoned professional, Stephanie Likes has an extensive background in public and sexual health, with over a decade of industry experience spanning multiple disciplines and areas of expertise. As an Ivy League postgraduate alumni, she has excellent academic qualifications and training, including cross-disciplinary research and programmatic experience. Her Bachelor of Science was in Health Science and Women's Studies at Clemson University in South Carolina. She holds a Master in Sexuality and Public Health, Population and Family Health from Columbia University, where she became the face of several student diversity groups dedicated to fostering healthy sexuality and agency for minorities. Likes is currently doing a dual degree, Master of Clinical Social Work and Master of Education, as well as a doctorate degree in Human Sexuality Studies at Widener University in Pennsylvania, after which she intends to become a clinical sexologist when she has her PhD. She's written several publications like HIV Acquisition Among Women from Selected Areas of the U.S. for the Annals of Internal Medicine. Managing Chlamydia Infections in Young Men for International Journal of STDs and AIDS and a co-author of the book Poverty in the United States, Women's Voices. Upon graduation, she worked in New York City for several years, conducting various research like social epidemiology and HIV research, examining prevention and risk for high-risk populations. She then went on to work as a healthcare consultant overseeing maternal, child and adolescent policy and program development at the state level for Delaware and Pennsylvania. Indeed, Stephanie has an extensive professional career with industry experience that includes, but not limited to, academia, biopharmaceutical brands, public health, like community health, women and adolescent health, etc. Event and logistical planning, social and promotional marketing, as well as communications and events sector. She worked as research assistant for College of Physicians and Surgeons for Public Health Solutions and for Young Men's Clinic of New York City as both data consultant and research assistant for Columbia University as project coordinator for the International Center for AIDS Care and Treatment Programs as healthcare consultant for forward consultants, as project coordinator and project manager for Flywheel Partners, as senior account executive for Synapse Medical Communications, as senior account executive for PRI Healthcare Solutions, and currently as account director for client services for Hive. <laughs> 
While spending the last few years working in the pharma and biotech industry, she simultaneously has continued to pursue working in the field of sexuality. In 2018, she was a speaker at the annual Alt Sex Conference in New York, which is a major arena for clinical and educational discourse around alternative sexual practices, featuring experts and professionals working clinically, teaching and conducting seminars and or conducting research on the populations that have historically had access to minimal support and understanding of their lifestyles, behavior, and relationship structures. Her lecture was on the very topic we discuss in part three, which is almost absent in the radio and podcast world, including those dealing with sexuality. Steph has been a guest at other podcasts and radio shows speaking about health and sexuality like Never A Lie and Royal Fetish Radio. And she also takes clients through her own firm, Sirens Call Consulting, under the motto, sex therapy is the best therapy. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Steph. Thank you. I'm very happy to have you on board. You know, this show today mm-hmm. is, like I've told you, it's a part of our series we're doing on relationships, polarity, gender, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the title of the show is The Dark Places of Desire. Okay. Yeah, subtitled Understanding Paraphilia. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's pretty intriguing. <laughs> I definitely listened to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's information in the subtitle, but I, I, I feel the main title have to be a little more poetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've been thinking, because we're going to cover a lot of stuff like Tantra and... and um, uh, advices how the genders can function better when we're going to showcase like I think we already covered the Jungian system mm-hmm. but I'm I'm a, uh, or a supporter of, of the Jungian psychology and one of the main ingredients is there as you probably know mm-hmm. is to not suppress but to put light on the shadow Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're going to do now when we are discussing the dark sides of sexuality. Wonderful. Because uh, all these people, New Agers, oh, airy fairy, I, I just want a light, I just want a light. But, mm-hmm. you know, no tree can grow into heaven if the roots are not <laughs> deeply grained in, in hell. So Absolutely. That's, that's a rationale of, of what we're going to do today. And I'm so excited because it's it's a topic... That has fascinated me. I don't want to. I don't want to reveal uh, early on now all the different things we're going to discuss. Uh, I think we're mm-hmm. just going to go systematic. I have a list here, and we're just going to go systematic through sure. it. And we're going to end with a certain thing we've discussed already. That you know what I'm talking about. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's start understanding paraphilia. And my first question to you, Steph, mm-hmm. is uh, how would you define? And most people are probably not even aware of the word because I think it's a Pretty new, uh, new change of terminology here. So, mm-hmm. so explain to uh, our listeners what paraphilia is. So, paraphilia is uh, basically um, it's a persistent sexual interest that may be deemed slightly unusual or outside of the norm. So, um, 
And I, I say that with an asterisk beside it, um, because I think the center of paraphilia is um, sexual interest or desire in comparison to what we consider to be normal. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the last several decades, I think we've been kind of not only redefining, but kind of deconstructing what the term normal really yeah, means. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So, um paraphilia sometimes can be seen as um, the abnormal or like I said, the unusual or, uh, but to me, I just feel like it just, it's, it's more so different. I just like the term different. Yeah. When I grew up, we just call it perversions. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but that's a loaded word, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Not it's political so. or even scientifically correct anymore. <laughs> uh, not even, not even. So, yeah. So that's, that I think is the umbrella term for it. It's just unusual sexual interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with, uh, I, I guess it's called the Quebec study? No, no. Tell me more. Which is very interesting because I've been wondering how many, because I, I don't even think there's any such thing as normal. Mm-hmm. normality when it comes to this area just as a, a, a psychologically if, if someone is normal he needs to be committed <laughs> in this <laughs> on this globe today right exactly. and i think the same uh, about sexuality and the interesting thing, thing with the quebec study mm-hmm. is that uh, they went into what i've been wondering about how many mm-hmm. and here are some bullet points that may interest mm-hmm. you and the listener mm-hmm. more than half of the women actually 52% fantasized about bondage mm. um, compared to 46% of men. Up to 60% of women described fantasizing about themes associated with submission, mm-hmm. uh, tied up, spanked, forced to have sex. Mm-hmm. 10% of men compared to 3.5% of women fantasized about having the partner urinate on them. Mm. And by the way, many of these things I'm mentioning now we're going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. And more than 40% of women said they fantasize about having a partner ejaculate on them. Mm-hmm. And one third of women and 44% of men fantasized about being filmed or photographed while having sex. That's just some of the bullet points. But mm-hmm. this tells me that, and, and you know how it is. I don't trust when, when, when they interview people in polls, whatever, there's so many people who, who won't come clean about things. Mm-hmm. It's like the old adage. If you ask a man and a, a woman how many sexual partners they've had, mm-hmm. you have to double the amount of what women says right. and you have to half the <laughs> amount of what men says. Right. And I think the same here. If 50% mm-hmm. admits to having some kind of kink, right. then I think the real number is probably 70%. Mm-hmm. What do you think? No, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, because there's part of that discrepancy, of course, is attached to the stigma. Exactly. And there's and depending on the the group within the women um, that you talk to, that number is it gets even more distorted. So even when asked to to be honest about you know what your predilections or kinks may be. There's still such that fear of being judged or scorned or looked at as, you know, for lack of a better word, different that we still tend to kind of shy away from the truth, Um, especially not only just just with talking about it with other people, but even with ourselves. So I'm not surprised by those numbers at all. 
No, and I, I think if we examine people's fantasy mm-hmm. and what they are turned on uh, from, that's what really defines us, not if you live it out or not. Because mm-hmm. that's it, some people may not even have sex. It doesn't mean that they don't mm-hmm. have anything in them that can, you know, uh, that can be turned on by. So if anyone has any kind of... Any kind of so-called, or let's say, call it paraphilia, then mm-hmm. in their fantasy or in in what turns them on, mm-hmm. then they belong to the specter of paraphilia, and uh, maybe everyone does, mm-hmm. uh, just in different degrees, mm-hmm. and maybe some people uh, suppress it, others just entertain it, mm-hmm. others really explore it. I, I think that's maybe the case here. Right. I think even within the the term of paraphilia, to me, it's it's almost just whatever you like that may be outside of just, you know, your regular mundane sex. So if it's you like to have your feet rubbed to help you get in the mood or if you like to watch your partner undress, you know, that could be a paraphilia in and of Mm. itself. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have to be sinister. Oh, absolutely (laughs) not. Absolutely not. Um, It's funny because that's part of the reason why I actually decided to um, explore sexuality because I I actually come from a very um, traditional uh, upbringing. Um, My family's from the South and living down there, it's uh, it's what you call the Bible Belt region. Oh, right. Religious upbringing. Yes. Yeah. Can I just interject? Sure. My um, anecdotal experience is that the most kinky girls out there have had a religious upbringing. <laughs> I don't care what religion. <laughs> That's my experience. They say it's always the quiet ones. Exactly. It's always the quiet ones. So, yeah. And, and it's my parents, you know, they weren't even very dogmatic about re- religion. You know, I just knew that that was part of our, our culture. And, you know, I would have getting these conversations with people where, the term freak would be thrown around like, oh, you know, Mm. she's a freak or he's a freak referring to someone who may be a little more exploratory or expressive with their sexuality. And that term always bothered me because it was so subjective. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it literally came down to what do you consider to be um, mundane or regular? And then what do you consider to be taboo? Because for some people, a woman being on top might be considered freaky, you know, mm-hmm. for others, it might be engaging in oral sex. And so I just, I always had took serious issue with the term freak, because it really just comes down to like, what's your fancy? What do you like? So even with paraphilia, it's one of those things that I don't want to say I'm reluctant to use the term, but I definitely... I'm I'm very judicious and cautious when I do decide to use it because for me, if it's just something as simple as this is what gets me aroused, this is what I like from my partner, then it may be for you to be completely within the scope of quote unquote normal sex, you know? Mm. So that's why using um, paraphilia literally is just, like, what do you like? What what do you love? What turns you on? Right. And that's that's yeah. It's it's a very it's a very tricky and dynamic word. It's true. You know what? Mm-hmm. We should really just call it sex. But we have mm-hmm. we also have to be practical because that's a huge uh, bag, right? Yeah, exactly. So I I think there's four aspects here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is you know it's sex as reproduction. 
which I guess is the norm <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, paraphilia is compared to. Mm-hmm. I don't know, missionary position, just uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Now <laughs> let's wait nine months to see what happens. Exactly. That, that's, that's that, right? But then right. there's uh, sex as healing or trauma. Mm-hmm. which we're going to discuss today, which I think a lot of the paraphilia uh, belongs to. Then there's uh, what I call sexual, and in my tradition, w- what's called sexual alchemy, but it can also be called tantra, even though tantra doesn't really mean anything. Actually, it just means esoteric. But mm-hmm. somehow this Indian yogic tradition has ended up in the West becoming a buzzword for, I guess, spiritual sex or a higher dimension of mm-hmm. melting together. But that belongs to another show. That's the third. And then there's the fourth, mm-hmm. which I would say are um, destructive or, or, or mm. dangerous or, or criminal acts. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, when we discuss so-called perversions or paraphilia, I guess we need to distinguish between innocent, mm-hmm. where, where no one is assaulted or hurt, and, and those mm-hmm. that per definition uh, victimizes People. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing I think of for the latter category is, is pedophilia, mm-hmm. which I also think is a very widespread mm-hmm. paraphilia. So which paraphilias, if we entertain that word, if you use that word, which paraphilias are criminal, dangerous, victimizing? You know, that actually... It's a hard question. So huh? It is a hard question <laughs> because... Um, I feel like culture plays such a big role in what we determine to be um, not only normal, but just what is like a disorder or destructive. Because it wasn't that long ago that homosexuality was still considered to be a very deviant and destructive act. True. Um, And luckily, the... DSM finally got around to removing it some some years ago but you know it it just it our perception of what is deviant just changes over time so and and the same thing with even pedophilia um it's one of those things that you go back maybe not even a hundred or plus years and it was considered completely normal. You know what I mean? So, um, they married even small children. If you go to ancient Egypt, even incest Mm -hmm. was a part of, you know, preserving the bloodline. Exactly. And even in some States, in in some States in the U S there's, uh, some of the laws have been removed that actually, um, prohibited marriage between, I think up to, I think second or third yeah. cousins. Yeah. So it's, again, it just kind of highlights just how um, much of a vast role perception comes into play when it comes to um, sexuality. I think if you were to try and distinguish paraphilias from, or the, the quote unquote, let's say healthy yeah. Paraphilias, and I use that term, you know, with some hesitation. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you were to kind of do a comparison between healthy and unhealthy, I think it comes down to, as you said, the um, the vic- not only victimization of others, but how it affects your daily life. So when we're trying to um, determine if something is actually harmful, we look at it on a spectrum, right? right. So 
we look at it as, of how distressing the behavior may be to the person. Like, is it something that kind of crosses your mind every so often, or is it something that you find yourself obsessing about almost daily, almost constantly? Yeah, but, but people can obsess even about chess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything can exactly. be a trigger for pathologies. Right. But then it's like, you know, is it starting to uh, interrupt your daily life? Like, right, are you right. able to actually still engage or function mm -hmm. as a as a productive member of society? And then we even start to look at, so are you engaging in this with willing participants? And if the person is unwilling, are you able to cut it off? Or do you now find yourself kind of crossing those lines? Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself starting to um, force people to engage with you, whatever it may be. So I think that's where we start to get into um, the distinction between what's innocent and what's victim, what's, what's victimizing mm. um, to not only others, but again, yourself. The DSM is, for the, the diagnostic uh, statistical manual for right. that a lot of um, healthcare providers use when it comes to quote unquote diagnosing um, disorders. It's one of those things that uh, in and of itself, it's, it's hard to get it right because so much of it depends on where we are as a society and what we consider to be quote unquote, okay mm -hmm. to engage in. So when you try and put these parameters on any type of behavior, but especially when it comes to sexuality, the way that we, that the DSM looks at it is, has this been persisting for six months or more? Is this something that's been with you forever? Or has this, is it something that's situational? Like, did it just kind of pop up? Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. To what degree are people born with? I mean, mm -hmm. homosexual, homosexuality, obviously, that's mm -hmm. something we're born with. But... Uh, nobody is, is born uh, with, let's say, being turned on by a, a shoe, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. so some things are imposed upon our psyche as we grow up. I, I'm mm -hmm. assuming this is in the formation years, probably mm -hmm. the, as children. So as a pro uh, professional, what do you think are examples of what we're born with? Um, well, I think your, your orientation um, is if I had to choose one would probably be what you're born with. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, no one has to teach you who to be attracted to. Right. Good point. You know, mm. so that's something that's innate within you. Now, when it comes to the development of say fetishes or paraphilia, usually it's attached to um, something that has occurred to you in life. But it's hard to even pinpoint what that could be. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's different for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's very different for everyone. With the limited amount of research that's out there, most say that the our paraphilias or what our fetishes they tend to develop around puberty, which is a, a really tricky age because that's usually when sexual development is really starting to ramp up, and it depends on, say. Uh, what your cultural upbringing may be, what your um, family schema may be, like the influences of the people around you. Mm. Um, it's uh, sometimes it can be attached to trauma. Like for instance, uh, if you're caught masturbating mm. and instead of your family, well, hopefully you're not caught by your whole family. Cause that would just be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be mortifying. But 
you know, if a loved one or a parent, say, you know, catches you and they chastise you in such a way that it makes you feel so ashamed, yeah. that shame can then turn into a fetish, uh, a kink. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, in and of itself. So, you know, there's some people have um, theorized that uh, our fetishes, our paraphilias, they're basically a way to allow the things that are in our deep recesses of our mind to kind of come forward to the light, Mm -hmm. um, whatever they may be. And I think because all of us have had some type of trauma or incident in life where great shame was brought upon us, you know, as we were saying at the beginning of this conversation, paraphilias are everywhere. I can uh, kind of attach certain things that I like to certain experiences that I've had. But for me, they haven't been a problem or an issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm still able to uh, quote unquote function um, in a really healthy way. And I'm able to communicate those paraphilias with my partners. But that also is a result of me doing a lot of self work. Right. Um, Cause I ended up having to kind of separate myself from those shameful uh, experiences. Stru- yeah, and restrictions and mm. kind of go beyond them. Mm-hmm. But you know, not everyone has that that luxury to do so. So <laughs> Yeah. Um I would say that living out uh so called paraphilia is you know, that brings you from minus to zero. If it's a way to heal, if it's a way to deal with traumas mm-hmm. or just you know, li- live out suppressions, mm-hmm. that brings you from minus to zero. Whereas mm-hmm sexual alchemy or tantra brings you from zero to plus mm. i think that's the difference between those two mm-hmm. things and I, I don't condemn i think people who focus too much on the we our souls are going to melt together and they don't do mm-hmm. anything with the shadows they won't mm. be complete so i Absolutely. think right i think in fact that's, in order yeah. to attain a tantric goal mm-hmm. you have to have worked with your uh, sexual shadow first. Right. I think both right. of them uh, belongs to the same coin. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about balance, right? Mm. You know, you can't have the light without the dark and vice versa. Exactly. So, yeah, I, oh, that's, perf- oh, I might write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm taking that with me. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we're going to have a, a few good quotes today. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we have philosophized now a little and we can do it more too, but I want to, mm-hmm. um, I want you to address specific uh, main categories, and I'm going to mm-hmm. throw at you one after another uh, okay. in order. Okay. Let's start with, uh, because my anecdotal experience, and I'm not just talking personal experience, but I'm also talking mm-hmm. friends and right. colleagues. And I even mm-hmm. was, uh, some years ago, I was in a big uh, group online that, uh, dealt with different kinds of uh, sexuality and we had polls mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and I realized that for f- some weird reason mm-hmm. lots and lots of women uh, at least here in Scandinavia but we are culturally mm-hmm. when it comes to sex we're pretty similar to where you live mm-hmm. so lots of women were into being strangled mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm not necessarily talking about like being brought to the brink of death but just like uh huh. That's what it's called, breath play. Yeah, breath play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just like uh, because so many, I have no urge to do that, but so many women asked mm-hmm. me or uh, encouraged me to hold their their mm-hmm. throat uh, during the act, and I was astonished by that. <laughs> Why is that a women thing? First of all, and well, uh, do you agree that it is very widespread? That little thing. Um. 
I think I think it's definitely gaining more um, um, public embrace, I guess, or um, more and more people are claiming that they're into breath play. And, you know, it's been my experience that it's not just women. I've actually come, I've known quite a few men okay. who were into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I it's, it's funny because that kind of, it harkens back to something that you, um, when you were telling me the results from the Quebec study, mm. um, where you said, like, um, there's a good majority of women who are into, say, um, uh, fantasized bondage. Um, submissive uh, fantasies. Submiss- yeah, submissive fantasies. And I kind of, uh, I, I have uh, my own theories about it in the sense that I, I think it really highlights the gender dynamic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, um, even though the times are changing now, the message still, um, or at least especially here in the U.S., the message still remains that women, good girls don't, okay? Yeah, that's a psychological component yeah. and the cultural component, but uh, yes. there is a, a biological one too. Not saying a woman can't be dominant, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm saying, uh, look in, in, in um, ordinary uh, psychology, mm-hmm. women tend to take inwards their mm-hmm. um, traumas. Boys tend to extrovert, right. uh, you know, extrovert versus introvert, right? right? Extroversion is a typical masculine trait, not saying male trait, saying masculine trait. Right. And introversion is a uh, feminine. And if many women are in touch are dominated by their femininity sexually in terms of submissive and dominance. Mm-hmm. Statistically, you would see more women. Although I don't think maybe it's not a hundred percent. Maybe again, it's a specter, right? right? But it's easier than, especially if you also have the cultural uh, thing and the psychological yeah. thing. It's easier for a woman than to go into the submissive role. I, I think I, but I think that again, just kind of highlights, you know, nature versus nurture. Yeah. Um, I, I spent a bit of time kind of looking at um, how we, the, the, the messages that we give with regards to um, in, imparting gender on our, on our kids, you know, and it starts very, very, very early. Girls are taught, you know, to be quieter, more demure, um, more reserved, while boys are just kind of given carte blanche to like, you know, go outside and be destructive and run around and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, again, like I said, it's, we're definitely shifting more and more. You know, I even saw that with my own upbringing. Um, yeah, but studies have shown, yeah, look, stu- but, have shown even uh, in families where girls are encouraged to be like boys mm-hmm. and boys are encouraged to be like girls, mm-hmm. they revert back to. Oh, yeah. That's the biology. I, mean, I think, I biology. think definitely, there's definitely an argument for the chicken or the egg, you know, yeah. which came first. But I think with regards to submission, one of the things that I have always kind of uh, come back to was it is that restriction that we put on female sexuality. Okay. Um, this, this idea that you like, for instance, like your virginity, like you hold on to it, you know, it's almost <laughs> with a, with a death grip, you know, you don't mm. give it away to just anyone while young boys may be encouraged to quote unquote. So the Royal Oats, I feel like within submission, um, one of the reasons why it may be so attractive to women is because that choice, when you remove that choice that's there, when you give in to being a submissive and allowing someone else to, quote unquote, 
do what they will with you. It gives you a freedom to actually explore your own sexuality and be sexual in a way Mm. that may be deemed too aggressive or unfeminine or unladylike. And so I think that might be some of the, um, the attraction that some women may have to Mm -hmm. being a submissive. It literally removes that anxiety around choosing to be sexual and open and free because now it's not really quote unquote in my hands. It's in my dominant hand. It's in my partner's hand. And therefore this is happening to me, but I can engage in it freely because I've given that choice. You see what I'm saying? So I, I feel like there, you know, I think it's with, with submission in general, there's a, a great freedom that comes along with allowing or giving up your, 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 your choice, your free will to another person. And so when you said that more than half of the women have fantasized about bondage, I mean, I, I totally understand where that comes from. Yeah, I must say Fifty Shades of Grey have, of course, influenced <laughs> culture, right? It, it was like a lid uh, went off and now yeah. it was allowed. I yeah. You know, a, a primitive person, a religious person would probably think, oh, look at that negative influence. But this is a mm-hmm. poor movie. The movie itself is not... Oh, it's such a bad movie. Uh, for any listener out there, please do not use Fifty Shades as no, like your no. blueprint. But, no, <laughs> it's... it's uh, you know, BDSM uh, mm-hmm. milieus condemned it. Yeah. But what it did was that it normalized, maybe? It, it kind of yeah. made it cool yeah. uh, among young people to flirt with these things right not even young people like one of the things that granted it is a it is a terrible movie it is a terrible script but that was i was actually one of the proponents of 50 shades not so much for the content that it um put puts a film but just simply because for the first time Suburban housewives actually had agency <laughs> in exploring these things right. with their partner. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I herald anything that encourages someone to be more of who they are. Yeah. So, you know, I hope my only wish is that the exploration doesn't start and stop with Fifty Shades because it is such a bad representation of it. But that that freedom that they that some people felt watching it to like maybe step outside the boundaries of what society considers to be acceptable sexuality. Mm. I am. I was all for it. Still am. Mm. It's still a bad movie, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But um, no, I think it, it it's a sign of the times. It's zeitgeist, mm-hmm. and because if you go back, there was a novel in the fifties, I think, called "The Story of O." Uh huh. I know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, thing. I mean, regard the culture back then. And mm-hmm. It's a mirror of. Like Fifty Shades is a mirror of today. That was a mirror of then. But it's very interesting. Almost all, I think all sexual descriptions in that novel are just mm-hmm. suggestions. They are indirect. Mm-hmm. It's not like in, in primitive uh, 
brute uh, right. eroticism. Or, oh, he took his cock and he mm-hmm. thrusted it into a pussy. Nothing like yeah. that. Everything is indirect. Everything is symbolic, metaphorical. Yes. Even when describing a naked woman, it's just mm-hmm. it's it's a it's an art of words. Mm-hmm. And interesting, it was written by a woman. Oh, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, who had to stay uh, anonymous. In fact, I've discovered most. Uh, good books and articles and not not in academia but uh, that I've explored uh, always Mm -hmm. women are writing it seems to me women are more interested in in understanding sex than men oh absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah I think that's weird yeah again it it goes to that freedom to to explore you know okay I think uh, you'll find that (laughs) when you're (laughs) you know how uh they, they, when people say, if you tell someone not to touch a hot stove, the first thing they'll want to do is yeah. touch the hot stove. Yeah. I feel like sex is like that, especially, I mean, not just for women, but just in general, like with the, the way that the U.S. treats even sex education, you know, I liken it to a swimming pool, like everything, everywhere you look, whether it's media, whether it's advertising, whether it's, it's in the laws that, that are on the books, sex is everywhere. It dominates. But you know, we and we basically show it like, um, like for instance, if you look at billboards, uh, it's like uh, showing kids having all this fun in the pool, right? They're splashing around, they're having a good time, mm-hmm. but we tell them it looks like fun, but you can't engage. I know you're hot, and I know you want to cool off, and here is look at all the fun that you're having with sex, but we still tell people to restrain themselves, which I just think is is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the fact that women a lot of um, eroticism was written by women. It doesn't surprise me because basically mm. it's that it's that whole don't touch the stove situation. It's, it's an outlet. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, um, I mean, if you go back in time, they didn't have education. So mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be natural because it, it, classical erotic uh, writings have been men if you go far, further back. But... From mm-hmm. the time women were more allowed to to read and write, yeah, mm-hmm. liberated, then uh, they seized that area. Okay, let's move on now. Let's let's sure. attack the big one, BDSM. Okay. First off, what uh, what do those four letters stand for? So BDSM is uh, the BDSM. So B and D uh, is bondage and discipline. Um, yeah, the D and S is domination and submission, and the S and M is sado- sadism and masochism. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's ingenious. They they cover six different yes. uh... six different paradigms. Mm. Yeah, so it's a combination of. Um, how do you describe BDSM? Yeah. In a, in a, it's, <laughs> it's such a large... It's huge. Um, it's huge. And we're going yeah. to go into subcategories, but, but let's try. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it's basically what I like to think of it as um, almost the alternative sex. Um, okay. It's okay. play that is... Um, less mainstream and it can involve uh, a bit of uh, power play. It can involve yeah, power. I think yeah. is important there. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge component of it. Um, 
it involves, say, um, paraphilias or fetishes may heavily play into it. And it can involve things that people may not necessarily associate with quote-unquote healthy or normal sexuality. So whether... um, Yeah, but again, we're talking about uh, scale, are we not? I mean, it doesn't have to be that you're dressing up in leather and, and, and whips. Not at all. So, so I mean, even just a man and a woman in a bed and the man holds the arms of the woman mm-hmm. while they're having sex mm-hmm. can be like a BDSM component, right? Right, absolutely. Or, or the strang- or holding on the throat or slapping her, her ass uh, or his ass for that matter. So, yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah, it's too big, actually. Yeah. Let's, let's narrow down. Yeah. Let's start with play rape. Okay. Uh, is not what is called uh, play rape. Uh, rape fantasies, yeah. Rape fantasy um, or non-consensual sex. No, no, that that would be it's, it's, that would be it's, rape. It's, no, it's just. I'm sorry, I forgot the consent. It's consensual non-consent. Oh right, um, right, right. Sex play. I'm sorry. That's better. Ooh, definitely have to put that consent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I was alert. Yeah. Now, by the way, I have to say, someone who is really raped, mm-hmm. it seems to me, and this is an interesting option. Again, it's anecdotal. I, I haven't studied this academically like you have, but. I would like to hear your thought about it. Mm-hmm. I've observed that I'm, I'm restricted to girls here because obviously being a heterosexual male, that's where most of my focus has been. So I don't know how it will go the other way. But then again, most rape victims are girls. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've noticed that someone who is raped, a girl who is raped, tend to go to one of two extremes. Mm-hmm. Either she becomes very promiscuous, almost hypersexual, and she seems to be reliving out her wounds Mm -hmm. and having big trouble being faithful and all that stuff. So she becomes what in people's populist terms, uh, which I don't condone, but, you know, oh, she's a slut. Mm -hmm. That's uh, what many would say about that extreme. The other extreme is the opposite. She becomes almost asexual or a nun. Mm -hmm. She represses the whole thing. It becomes something unpleasant or or, or dirty or disgusting or, you know, and it's easy to see the psychological mechanisms here. But that's that's what I've observed. Uh, I don't know if there's research into this. What's your thoughts? Oh, I think... uh I think some of what you said definitely is, is correct. Um, you know, I think it comes down to how people may um, address or live out their trauma. Mm. So uh, I think that for some, for some women who, or, or, or some, some persons, period, who, who have been raped, who may find themselves um, trying to deal with the, the, the abuse or the, the, the moment itself, I find that depending on where you feel complicit oh. in the attack or the abuse that happened, Good point. that, yeah, it can kind of uh, shape how you may play out or address sexuality mm. after that. Um, mm. You know, if you are in a space where you feel like, cause you, I mean, even though I, I just, it, it, it's, it's hard to even talk about, um, attaching, uh, blame 
quote unquote, to say victims, if you feel that you were in any way active or in, in it actually occurring to you, you can then internalize that as being how you like a, a representation of who you are. So when you said that some women who had been raped, you know, they may go toward the the avenue of hypersexual, that can be for a number of reasons. It may be because, again, they feel like they may have uh, brought the attack upon themselves. Mm. Maybe they felt like they were, quote unquote, asking for it, mm. you know, depending on the clothing they were, they, they wore or where they where they were at the time of the attack, who the person was, what yeah. what uh, messages did I sent out. How much they drank. Or as a, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then they may internalize that to, quote unquote, be a slut, if you will, which is just awful. And then some may take the rape as like um, they're, they're this hypersexual. Like a robbery, like a troll, you know, just like a bad thing happening, like an accident, right? Yeah, or even or even just taking it and saying from here on out, I'll be control in all sexual acts that occur to me. I'll be a hyper in control of my sexuality. And so then I'll just go out and do whatever I want outside oh, right. of social restrictions. You know what I mean? Mm. It's almost kind of a way to, I guess, try and take back your power. Yeah, but what about those who become, uh, re- uh, who almost doesn't want to deal with sex or, or, right. or not turned right. on? No. And, and again, and then there's, like you said, like there's those who almost become nuns because the the trauma is so extensive and it's just kind of like, you know what? It, again, if, if you felt that you might have had something to, a role to play in your attack um, or the trauma itself, then you may then try and hide that part of yourself forever, you know, to try and keep all sexuality at bay because mm, you don't okay. want to um, put yourself at risk. All three of those situations are ways of dealing with trauma. For some, it may work. I personally, as a uh, future clinician, would want to um, really explore and try and help that person get past that and just find, like, and again, if your sexuality lies in one of those, or especially like the last two, if you're such, if you happen to just be a very sexual person, I want you to be able to do that outside of the rape. You know what I mean? Right, I want right. you to be able to express that not as a result of this thing, this horrible thing that happened to you, but that's because that's your that's your sexuality and that's who you are. And the same thing with if you decide to, if your sexuality recedes, you may just have a very low sex drive in general. Yeah. And But if that's the case, again, I want us to be able to be, help you live your truth, help you live that sexual um, experience, your be your sexual self outside of the trauma. So yeah, but you're like you said, there's, there's definitely that, that can definitely happen. That happens quite a bit. I have a very controversial suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, do not burn me at the stake. I can, <laughs> I can't, I can't explain why, but mm-hmm. could it also be an, an optional component? Can that also be that um, if at some subconscious level, they at least physically, because uh, I think sex is basically in the brain, right? Or in the mind, better to say. But yeah. the body, and, and the reason I, I, I know about this is because of PJD, we're going to get back to this. But the body has a kind of a sexual thing too. Like you can, 
if someone is in is sleeping or in coma and, and you have sex, the body can respond. Right. So could it be that there's some kind of shame of at some subconscious level have had some kind of pleasure uh, from the just the mere physical? I mean, rapes are, are a huge category, right? It can be mm-hmm. uh, lots of different things. But could that be... Because I imagine if some... If some ugly person, I was not turned on from, even a woman, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if she somehow managed to rape me, Mm -hmm. I would feel a disgust and shame. Mm -hmm. And I would probably try to suppress any sexual feeling after that. It's very hard as a male to try to imagine. But you see what I mean? Could that be? And especially also when you see that uh, rape play, which Mm -hmm. is completely different from rape, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to discuss it soon. But when you see that that's a very prevalent fantasy among women, Mm -hmm. what if you had that such a fantasy before it happened? That you you see what so shame uh, I mean can that be right. a component? See, I I I think the difference though, even if you do have that that fantasy or that desire to um, have consensual non consensual play, I think the big big area or the big um, caveat there is consent. So if because you know there are people who have been able to set scenes for rape play where it's like. I don't want to know when it happens. Oh, wow. I don't want to know that it's coming. And so then <laughs> it, it literally, you know, it, it is like a, an attack, you know, right, it, it's right. like, but, but the thing is, is that that consent, that exchange that happens beforehand has, is already in place. I think with rape itself, that if there, it, it literally, it is, it's an invasion of sorts. Mm. Now, how you respond after it begins or how you respond, say, um, you know, in the moment, because, you know, there, there, you hear these stories of women who, or not just women, but uh, victims where they say, once they realize that it was happening or it was going to happen, the fight kind of res- resides because then it's like... No, you, no, you're talking about real rapes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about real rapes. And it's, and it's not... Because it's just kind of like a, I just want to get this over with because this yeah, has happened exactly. and I, my agency has been removed in this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and the body is, it's responsive. And so, and I, and I think, and, and it's sad that we don't really, this is another reason why I think it's really problematic that we don't discuss sex more mm. um, in, in public. And especially when it comes to like teaching young people about sex, because this whole idea that if you are raped, that you'll gain no pleasure from it whatsoever. Exactly. It's so common. Same as in incest. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wrong. And, and that's what I'm thinking, that the shame may have a component. Well, yeah. And if I'm a woman and I'm fantasized about being raped and then it actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. And it's horrible for me. Then I can see that, oh God, uh, the, the, a guilt can come in. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There's a there's a guilt that if for let's say before the rape that you this is something that may interest you, you can feel like maybe you brought it upon yourself, which again is mm. awful because yeah. again, there's no agency or consent that's 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 there. Um if your body does respond to it, it's just like, you know, with men who have been raped and then they find themselves being able to ejaculate or women who find themselves, you know, lubricating or having an orgasm. It's sad that if 
And when, say, you try and bring the perpetrators to justice, people will try and use that as um, a justification Mm -hmm. or even to discredit the act itself, saying, well, but you enjoyed it. It's like, no, my body is my body. Like, the way that you can't control when you sneeze Mm. is the same thing, you Mm. know? Mm. And, you know, your body's going to have responses. So I think that's something that no matter where your um, desires or uh, fantasies may lie beforehand, it's, it's no, it has no bearing on the actual act itself. No, of course not. Yeah. By the way, this assault uh, randomly, it reminds me when we discussed rape, rape mm-hmm. and not play rape, which is completely different. Absolutely. And, and the question if play rape can be a healing component for rape victims is something we have to come back to next time. But mm-hmm. I want to add this because it belongs uh, someone I know, mm-hmm. doesn't know her well, but you told me something that blew my mind. It was late. She was out. Mm-hmm. It, it was a classical thing w- that people think about when it comes to rape, because most rape cases are people you know in a party, someone close to you, blah blah blah, right? But this was mm-hmm. the random stranger out of the bush. Mm-hmm. She when she she couldn't get away or anything, so he held her into a fence, mm-hmm. and then she uh, she gave in. Mm-hmm. deliberately because she figured it's better you know I, I can get killed whatever let's just mm-hmm. get this over with mm-hmm. but interestingly then she got the idea of challenging him like not not in resistance but in the opposite mm-hmm. like becoming active and aggressive like oh is that this the best you can get yeah give it to me hard whatever right stuff mm-hmm. I, I can't re- reproduce it but mm-hmm. you know what i mean <laughs> and it ended up with him fleeing the scene mm-hmm. uh, which just shows you that rape is probably more connected to other things than sex especially power, power. but mm-hmm. it's very interesting that when she didn't put up a fight but mm-hmm. first she gave in Mm-hmm. and try to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of exaggerated that. And then he wasn't into it anymore. He he kind of got confused and scared and ran off. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. Right. Comment? No, that's, uh, you know, because like, like you said, that the rape is not, a, it's, it's never about the, the need to um, release sexually or like it's like hmm i'm feeling horny let me find someone to have sex with it is about it's about uh power and aggression and for some men you know i think uh you might find this also in uh uh certain um types of sex play in general it's that uh feeling of overpowering taking something from someone um it's that the the helplessness, the crying, the screaming, the um, knowing that you're dominating someone mm-hmm. that for some is the only I want for some people, it might even be the only way they can get off. Like yeah. they have to have someone who's resisting and unwilling and an unwilling um, agent in the sexual play itself. And so in that case, I'm not surprised that, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know how much she told you, but there might've probably even been a loss of an erection on his part yeah, because now, yeah. and cause you know, for him, it's, uh, so she's taking the power out of that situation and it's now something totally different. Like, yeah. I, I thought it was brilliant, Yeah, but you, you have to be brave and, and yeah, because collected. That, yeah. That's rape for some maybe about that. 
And it may not be. No, I mean, so, a victim has to be brave and collected. No, I'm saying, I'm saying yeah. so for some, if, if the, the perpetrator, if he is of that type, I think mm. it's, it's risky to try. But, yeah. you know, that is something that would definitely discourage or dissuade him from continuing. And then some might, yeah, it could go left very badly, very quickly. Yeah, so. good point. Now, now he thinks they're married. Yeah, I see what you <laughs> exactly. mean. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, so. but uh, we have to uh, admit something here, and that's that if we have collective memory, and we're going to get back to that at the last uh, topic we're going to discuss. Right. But if we have that, if it's somehow ingrained in our subconsciousness, in our DNA, whatever, mm-hmm. then consider this all through history. Mm-hmm. And it's not talked about enough. You said teach young people, we should teach old people too. Mm. <laughs> We're so ignorant Absolutely. to everybody. But all through history, women has be, been raped, especially in, in war mm-hmm. and conflicts. And it's systemic. It's like, uh, I mean, it's still happening, but nobody's talking about it. Let, let's say the when there's conflict between neighboring countries or whatever, and if if it's different cultures or different religions or different ethnicities, then it becomes, you know, even a, a, a part of the war mm-hmm. thing itself. Right. And so then I imagine maybe that can be a component to why so many women fantasize about it, because fantasy is something we fish up from our collective subconscious. Obviously, which fishes we fish up will have more to do with our personal history and culture and family and whatever right but right. still there are elements in the in the i don't know the dna whatever so maybe that can be a component to why it becomes a popular fantasy but i also think it ties into the fact that women are more uh, in general uh, more percent of women are submissive and then obviously mm-hmm. rape or, or be overpowered is probably better to say will be a natural expression of that but the fact you pointed to know that the body has its own i realized that for real when i uh, got to know very well a girl who suffers from pjd and to those who doesn't know what that is it stands for permanent i think permanent gen- persistent yeah persistent, persistent. genital mm-hmm. arousal is it syndrome disorder disorder and mm-hmm. when men hear about that they get turned on mm. they think it's a hot thing mm-hmm. and i did the same thing uh but then I realized, because I knew her so well, that it's horrible for her. Absolutely. She can sit in a, in a classroom and ejaculate yep. uh, and, and, and try to hide it, of course, right? And, mm-hmm. and so the brain, I said sex is in the mind. The mind isn't there at all. It's like the body is on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, I would feel horrible if I am wrong. Let's say I, I'm teaching a class and then I get a hard on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and we're not even discussing anything. It would, but be, it just happens. Yeah, yeah, it would be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that that's why I'm fully behind when you try to point out that the body can have its own responses. But the yeah. the person who owns that body may not be that aware, and then it turns into yeah. shame and guilt. Yeah. Again, it just kind of comes down to to personal agency. You know, mm-hmm. if I wanted to engage with someone and then just or just, you know, be around a person where multiple upon multiple or multiple orgasms are something that I choose to have with this person, that's mm-hmm. different. But if I'm grocery shopping <laughs> and suddenly I'm by the kumquats and I feel myself about to orgasm, 
it's it's horrible because again it's it's that uh it's it's not only the agency that you lack in that moment like it literally is outside of your control but also it's a disruption to life you know and Mm. it's just i you know i there have been it's a very rare disorder but i i do know that you know the couple of cases that i have heard of have sometimes resulted in severe self-harm or even suicide because it's just same same with this person i know yeah, it's just so hard to deal with. It's so hard to to live with. So And there's no help yeah. and there's no understanding. Yeah. And it's a huge, um, what should I say, um, uh, stigma. Yeah. It's a huge stigma yeah. to, to bear. Yeah. But but you know it's a it's a big th- subject and and it's not really a part of uh, what we have on the agenda today. So uh-huh. I, I think we should move on from it. I was just using it as an example, sure. but we could discuss this yeah. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything we discuss today we could discuss for a long time and we've been going yeah. for an hour already. Jeez. I can talk about sex all day. It's literally why I'm like yeah, yeah. I hope you have all day because uh, <laughs> I I'm only one fourth of a list here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to list the most common paraphilias. When we're done with the list, if, if there's one you, I haven't mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you feel free to add it because sure. I think we should cover the biggest one. Absolutely. Then you have something that personally, uh, and I don't judge people. I'm very libertarian on this area. People can do whatever mm-hmm. they want as long as it doesn't. Uh, I don't suffer from it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was to opinionate about any of these we've mentioned, obviously I would condemn. Uh, pedophilia mm-hmm. but what I personally find extremely disgusting is the one I'm getting at now and again if you like it have at it okay mm-hmm. I don't judge you mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you Steph to mm-hmm. the audience but that's <laughs> yeah. urination and excrements you know shitting on people and pissing on people mm-hmm. to put it bluntly mm-hmm. now does that have a better professional term so uh, urine uh Urine play or piss play is the technical term is uh, urophilia and uh, scat play or playing with feces uh, is coprophilia. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was the official term. So, but let's address it because it is, yeah. uh, it's big enough to have its own term, right? So yes. w- we should address it. Yes. So. Uh, Actually, the urination thing, I think it's very common. Yeah. Um, it is. It's it's quite uh, it's quite common. Um, they call it golden shower. The, right? Yes, yeah. the golden showers. <laughs> or um, depending on, let's say, like if you're on um, like a, a a site, like a online community for um, fetish play or things like that, it's mm-hmm. called water sports. Ah, okay. Yeah. okay. Water sports. Yeah. <laughs> People so, are so creative. Yeah, it's a very pleasant term when you, think, when you hear it like that. So yeah, um, yeah it's. Uh, I think. When it comes to um, these two types of play, um, I think it, a lot of it may lie in the taboo of it. Yeah. Um, for many people, it's the, again, it's kind of like that uh, don't touch the stove, um, that heightened sense of excitement that you get from knowing that you're doing something that so many people consider to be so wrong um, that 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 feeling of you know if someone if anyone knew that this was like my thing you know yeah. oh they would just 
Yeah, yeah, I, I buy that in general yeah. for most paraphilias, mm -hmm. but it doesn't explain why it gets this outlet. You know, it's, I, it's, I, it, it's like trying to find the origin of, of any of our fetishes. Um, it may be. But, but, but excrements mm -hmm. are directly unhealthy. They are, but. People um, can become sick from it. You know, uh, it's so funny that this is the... <laughs> Do you mind if I tell a quick story? Sure, sure. So um, I was actually uh, this uh, in one of my, my courses for um, my doctorate. And um, that day that I was coming in for class, you know, my professor had already told us ahead of time that, you know, we will be looking at uh, extreme fetishes the next day okay so, so this is defined as an extreme one okay okay yeah, yeah. so um but i think i think it was just more so for like an umbrella term more mm -hmm. than anything so you know i prepared i was a little late because that kind of well i'm always late yeah <laughs> and so you know I, I show up to class i have my coffee and i like grabbed an orange really quickly on the way out the door and i sit down and my professor was like oh great so we're going to take a look at a couple of videos today. First up is scat play. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're just going to dive right in. Like no warm up. You better eat that orange pretty fast. <laughs> exactly. So I had started to, um, you know, I was, and I happened to be sitting right there in the first row. Of course. And my teacher, she, um, she's a wonderful woman. And, you know, she was, uh, she did her due diligence to kind of set the tone for that day. She was like, listen, no, no one here is a hero. If there's something that comes on the screen and it's just too much for you, it, you don't have to sit through it. You can get up, you can leave, you can take a break, you oh. know, do whatever you have to do to practice self-care. Okay. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. So we're in this. So we start the videos and it, I ended up seeing two videos for um, looking at the first one was scat play alone. Mm -hmm. And the second video was scat play, um, piss play, and I want to say, I think there might have been vomit involved with that one as well. Jeez. So that was like the trifecta of oh, bodily fluid. Right. And, you know, I'm watching these videos and I had always kind of prided myself on being open, especially when it comes to stuff, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's your thing. Like you said, do what you want to do. Very libertarian approach to it. And I am just, I literally had started peeling my orange and like 20 seconds into the video, the first video, I put my orange down <laughs> and I didn't eat it for the rest of the day. I, I hope it didn't put you off oranges forever. <laughs> it did not. It did not. I was able to come back around to my citrus later. But, um, okay. And uh, we were kind, we took, a took some time to um, uh, do our SARS afterwards to kind of debrief and um, kind of talk about the things that came up for us. And in my stance of just, you know, trying to be as objective as possible, because I really thought that I was being objective. Mm -hmm. uh, when I had turned to my professor, I was like, I'm sorry, but you know, I understand people being allowed the space to engage and do whatever they they want. But I'm thinking about this from a health perspective, right? Because as a woman, for instance, you know, the first thing they tell you to do, especially when it comes to like going to the bathroom, you know, wiping front to back and UTIs and infections. And I was like, and so if you're just engaging with someone who where there's feces everywhere, like, 
that's that's my issue. That's my take on it. And she mm. looked at me, and I would never forget this. This has literally changed the way that I approach sexuality, mm-hmm. um, if, if, like from this point on. And she said, "What if, what if the pain, or the 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 aftermath of that play?" What if the pain of the year of the, the the UTI that this woman may or may not get? What if that's a part of the kink? And I looked at her. I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" She's like, "Well, what if like for those those days after the the act has taken place, and you know the the pain and the discomfort that she feels? What if it's a reminder to her of this this moment that she shared with this other person, this 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 uh, sexual event?" that she engaged in. What if that's a part of it? And, you know, I sat there and I mulled it over and I could not come back with a, with a response. Mm. And I normally always have a response to something. (laughs) It's one of the things I pride myself on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she looked at me, she says, you don't have to understand the act. You just have to understand the pleasure or the, the, the emotion that was attached to the act. Mm. And that has, has I like, even though I'm still learning and going through, um, this whole, uh, uh, academic process to becoming a clinician, a, a clinical sexologist, I know that's something that's going to serve me from here on out because it literally just blew my mind. It put everything into perspective for me. I don't have to get what you do. I just have to know that there's something that happens for you when you engage. And that for me is always going to be my starting point. Cause you know, when you think about it, even though we're looking at it from as say, just proponents of public health, you know, what about the health risk involved in it? You can kind of uh, attach that to say impact play. You know, sometimes you'll see... What, what, what's that? Impact? Yeah, Im- impact play. Like people who like to be spanked or, oh. or, or whipped or flogged, you know... Oh, that's it, called impact play. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, impact play. I, I just put it in the BDSM category, but that's the subcategory. Yeah. Punishment. Impact yeah, punishment. Play. You know, mm-hmm. so for like, um, you know, when you'll see the, the aftermath of, say, some... Some receivers of impact play, the, the skin is red or, or bruised or broken. And you realize that part of that experience is not, no, not even, it, yeah, it doesn't just end with the actual act itself of, you know, having this, this pain inflicted, but it's the, the wincing that you feel the next few days as you heal and it takes you back to that moment that pleasurable moment with your partner yeah yeah the, the impact play thing is a huge thing we could yeah. discuss that a long time but now that you kind of compare it i'm starting to get it because yeah. i was gonna i was gonna counter with just like pedophilia victimizes someone mm-hmm. excrements kind of also does uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, at least the one who gets it you know it can become a sickness unhealthy whatever mm-hmm. physically speaking but the same can be said for mm-hmm. if someone likes to be whipped and yeah. oh it got a little too oh now you're bleeding or whatever yeah. so so yeah I, I see what you mean but i yeah. maybe i'm too conservative but but no, i no no trust me i i understand i kind of i kind of put the <laughs> yeah because i i kind of put the limit on if if it's if if it has a, a, an everlasting impact, like mm-hmm. you said, Bruce, but you know people who cut themselves and mm-hmm. uh, destroy themselves in a way, then it's not healing anymore because unhealthy. Um, but 
um, where where does the limit go? I, I kind of maybe this is the wrong litmus test, but usually when we think about if something is okay or not, we say, would we imagine that our own sons and daughters would do? If it's not okay for your own son and daughter, then it's not okay, right? But mm. people don't want to think about sex and their children or their parents. But mm-hmm. again, if I was like a father and trying to think what my daughter uh, was, I was okay. Not that it's my business, but mm-hmm. I would think excrements <laughs> would not be. I mean, I, I think I think that's why with um, with uh, uh, scat and and piss plate. I mean, it it it's it can be seen as the ultimate taboo because. Yeah. You know, in society in general, you know. Those- I don't think so. I think we're going to get to the ultimate taboo at the end. <laughs> Absolutely. But I see what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's in that category. Yeah. And I have to say for urination to, mm-hmm. to uh, whitewash, uh, yellowwash them a little. <laughs> it's not actually dangerous with urine. In fact, there are people using urine as therapy, drinking it and stuff. Uh, it's supposed to have nutrition, etc. Blah blah blah. I know it's socially and culturally disgusting, mm-hmm. but just if if anyone, we have to distinguish because you can't get sick from get being pissed on, but you can I mean, get sick from you, eating you, shit. You can't. Um, but again, I think um, it's. It is, it comes down to personal preference, right? Mm-hmm. So I think um, in general, it's just, or, or as a collective, the idea of feces in general, it's, it, it's I don't want to say problematic, but it's definitely something that we like shun, you know, like yeah. we put it over there because it is waste, it's bodily waste. And, but again, uh, it's one of those things where I have to, you know how you said that you, one of the litmus tests that you, that we may use is would we want our kids to engage in mm. it, so to speak. Mm. Um, for me, it's more so um, if this person walks through my door seeking help, could I treat them? You know, okay. because there may be something that I'm, I have such an aversion to that it's beyond <laughs> my own personal objective <laughs> right. approach. Right, right. And I have yet to come across any person that's been open about engaging in it. Oh, but wow. I have read, um, I have read, uh, say like the, uh, the, the journal entries or the personal um, stories of people who hmm. do engage um, and anonymously, I might add. Mm-hmm. And for one you know, it was, I remember reading one from this one woman and she said for her, it is the ultimate fetish because it is so, so anti-society. She talks about, and and for her, it's not even about the, the one solitary act of having her partner, you know, um, excrete themselves on her and then she, you know, does whatever she does with it. But I mean, it's a, it's a whole, it's days of preparation and days of, ah, okay. yeah, you know. M- maybe there's I, a way to facilitate it where they reduce the risk yeah. of, and, and it's not yeah. that different from anal sex, actually, anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not into anal, so I don't have any personal experience, but I've read a lot and talked a lot with people, and I, I know that a common problem 
or, or I don't know if it's the feature, <laughs> but a, a common thing happening is that mm-hmm. they suddenly, if they haven't taken an animal or whatever, suddenly a lot of uh, excrement starts, you know, in the middle of the act, starts coming out. That's it, a it very can. common thing. Yeah. 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 It can happen, um, you know, and most people are at least when, when they engage, there's a, there should be an understanding that you may see a little poo, <laughs> you know, right. you, exactly. you may come across some poop. Um, and then, uh, but I mean like, or just like people who, uh, their big thing is, um, like ass to mouth, so to speak. Um, when their partner engages in anal sex with them and then they turn around and then say for late that person or, you know, um, uh, Oh, 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 you mean put your mouth on in mm-hmm. the anus? Or not just put your mouth on your anus, but like, let's say like if you're, um, you're on the receiving end of say the anal play Mm -hmm. and your partner withdraws and then, uh, uh, you may then turn around and oh, you have to clean the yeah, okay. clean it exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, it's 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 funny because like we you don't really consider that to be a part of scat play. I know, I know, but it's not it, physically. But, it's not that different, right? It, yeah, it's not that different. And, and I understand anal sex is very popular, so lots yeah. of people are probably hating on my reactions. But I, I, I beg your forgiveness. I, I, I can't help myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or then, and then for some, you know, it's not about um, actually like having the sex with, say feces or the scat or on you sometimes it's just it's just uh and maybe like just rubbing it on your your skin or just the actual play with it so you know in that regard the likelihood of getting sick is greatly reduced but it's still such a uh, an ex- it's considered to be such an extreme or taboo type of play that people still would then be like, you know what? It's still a hard no for me. And, you mm. know, like, uh, like this woman who, um, was writing about her experiences, she was saying how, like, even the showering afterwards or cleaning herself up, like the smell or the, 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 the hint of it is still there. And so then it, there's still a couple of days of like, I guess, uh, recovering from the act itself. It's a whole, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting process or, or interesting Mm. act itself. Because for me, like, like the kind of like where you are right now, having that extreme reaction to it of just like, this is just so (laughs) not disgusting. Yeah. You know, honestly, but then it's like, again, for me, it's putting on those lenses of, yeah, I definitely don't get it, but I can see the joy in your face. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, uh, have yeah. at it. Yeah. I'm not condemning you, you, yeah. you scat players. I- I'm just saying the reason I'm re- reacting like this mm-hmm. is pretty immature, but it's like no. I'm imagining myself in that yeah, scenario. Exactly, and it's just an anti turn on, right? So, but yeah. but you know, I- I'm not condemning. But could you say? Would you say that anal sex is paraphilia? Um, or is it become so common now that I feel like it's so common that I, I, I wouldn't even consider it paraphilia. And also because, um, if you are, um, let's say, or, or let's say like if you're a gay man, you know, anal sex is just sex. All you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Good so, point. Well, no, look, I know gays. 
they are very creative. They have a million <laughs> ways to have sex. But, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, and and what about the girl yeah. gays, right? But yeah, uh, but I, mean, I, I get what you, you. It's a big thing, of course, in yeah. the gay community. So I get that point. Point taken. But mm. uh, I blame the porn industry. The only <laughs> thing I blame them for is the prevalence <laughs> of anal sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think that came from porn, because I, I mean it's it's you know they don't want to use condoms or whatever. It's, it's just a yeah. common thing. I think to a certain degree we are culturally influenced. Um, mm-hmm. So at least culture can remove taboos. Mm-hmm. Ironically, doing so also makes it less interesting. <laughs> for exactly. Many. But yeah. uh, but uh, again, it become yeah. then it becomes a part of the norm and not the paraphilia. Right. Okay, let's move on to we've talked a, we've given enough energy to that uh, subcategory. <laughs> let's take uh, another one and then we take a break. Okay, sure. Mm. So, I would say another big one um, would probably be edge play. What's that? It's uh, it's where you basically um, take your partner to the brink of orgasm, and right before they're about to go over the quote unquote edge, you stop, and then they rescind back, and then they come back to um, I guess pre orgasm, if you will, and then you work them Is up that again. Paraphilia? That's just yeah. smart. That's no, just no. practical. <laughs> and for some, um, well, it, I think. For some, it's when you take it, especially um, if you put it in the the realm of a power exchange. Like, for instance, some doms will um, require their submissives to say edge a number of times um, before they either allow them to actually come Mm, mm, or mm. prevent them from coming altogether. Mm. And it might be a daily uh, daily practice that they have to do. You know, on this, on the flip side of that, of course, there's also forced orgasms, mm-hmm. um, making a person, um, you know, orgasm over and over and over again. Of course, with the the uh, conversation and consent um, ahead of time. Um, so, any type of orgasm play. We talked about breath play. Yeah. Um, I think uh, when you start to breath, of- breath play is choking, right? Yeah, yeah, mm. or cutting off um, airways. I think when you kind of get um, further down the road especially when say more tools may come into play like for instance people who might engage in uh shabar shabari or rope play um the act of time oh yeah bondage yeah bondage um or uh, a subset of that is like predicament play you set it up to where no matter which way a person moves they're either putting themselves um in say more pain or oh, right yeah i know what uh, you mean yeah or and then it's uh it's in response to say if they move a different way it makes them more something different happens right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Like, like you have to be on your toes all the time for example yes. yeah. yeah yeah so that's that's its own category interesting yeah mm. yeah if you if, of course like if you're on your toes but then like if you try and like say lower yourself then more usually there might be like a an implement that's inserted that may cause more pain so or pleasure yeah or pleasure <laughs> or pleasure yeah um but it has a consequence i see what you mean yeah, yeah the ingeniousity yeah. of of the human mind, huh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, breast abuse, or you know, it's the the spanking, hitting, flogging, um, whipping of breast. Um, 
then of course if you go to other body parts like um cbt which is cock and ball ball torture oh my um, god yeah you know or vaginal torture like it's there's so many it's like a yeah. like a cornucopia of just sexual play yeah that torture thing i i have yeah. the same attitude to that as i had to excrements um yeah. because I, I i say if it doesn't hurt anyone go ahead right but right. that actually hurts people but i think for them it's the the pleasure it's if there's a for some there's a very thin line between the pleasure and pain yeah for instance like with impact play um it could be the sting of followed by like the the heating of the skin and the tenderness no no sure sure i get that no 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 but but what i'm talking about is that if you do stuff to your body that will get permanent results let's say you you destroy your own dick oh yeah yeah people who want to be kicked in the balls and stuff like that but again it's consent they have to they are masters of their own life yeah I don't want to forbid it. You know, but... with with two with, with BDSM, there's there's two uh, 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 subsects of it. It's or or not even subsects, but it's the idea of SSC, safe, sane, and consensual. Um, right. I think one reason why a number of people are drawn to BDSM is because consent is so prominent yeah. in the the play with setting the scene and just discussing with your partner what's about to happen. For some, especially if uh, there's a lack of consent uh, or they've had a lack of consent with their own sexual play, BDSM kind of provides the environment where they're in control Mm -hmm. at all times, no matter what dynamic they adopt within it. And so – and the other one is is risk. Um, I'm blanking on the – the, what it stands for, or rack, not risk, it's rack. Um, mm. But basically, it's a risk-aware consensual kink. Again, consent is a huge part of BDSM. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's something that we can understand or whether it's something that brings us pleasure or things that we're just like, I don't get it at all, mm. I think that's one of the reasons why um, you know, outside of just greater exposure in society, I think that's one of the reasons why BDSM is catching on with so many people, yeah. because it puts you uh, at the forefront of your sexuality mm. and it puts you in the driver's seat. And I, I'm, I'm a proponent of it simply just for that alone. Yeah, but I think power is probably an element in most sexual variations Mm -hmm. to some degree even if it's just very invisible or almost just suggested Mm -hmm. there is some kind of element of power involved oh absolutely absolutely so Uh, bdsm just makes it very visible in a way yeah yeah um and it puts even the person who may not necessarily have the power Mm. um and i i'm using quotations with that it even puts them in the role of power. Um, yeah, isn't it interesting to see how many, you know, some people think that like, oh yeah, uh, those who are doms, they have to be like CEOs in life. Yeah, no. No, no usually a CEO hires a hooker and asks the hooker yeah. to whip him yeah, exactly. <laughs> to get a balance, right? Yeah. <laughs> they have too much power in there. There's a, there are a huge number 
There's a huge number of kink clubs in the city. Um, of course, they're very underground and not well known, but many of powerful CEO or hedge fund owner or uh, stockbroker, many of them will engage in uh, S&M sadomasochism as subs right yeah as subs. <laughs> as subs. yeah so it's yeah. usually the opposite of what many people think yeah. uh, and i think it makes sense because if you in your daily life execute a lot of power that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a normal situation mm-hmm. it's something more to do with our culture mm-hmm. today and lifestyle and, and, and civilization mm-hmm. so in a way they get a balance yeah. When. Submission is very freeing. Mm. It, it can be very, very freeing because it allows you for however long the scene um, is taking place, it allows you to be devoid of the responsibility of making the decisions. It allows you to literally just be in the moment. You don't have to worry about the next thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's very vulnerability in and of itself is very powerful mm. and it's mm. not, we usually don't associate vulnerability with power, but to give up that um, control to another person, to put your full trust in another person can be a very, um, it can be a very eye-opening cathartic experience. And so, um, I, you know, when I first realized that a number of powerful people decide to adopt the role of submissive, I wasn't surprised. Hmm. I mean, it's almost like being allowing yourself to turn everything off, turn out the outside world to everything that's going on. And in that moment, it's just you and this other person and the dynamic that you have uh, cultivated with them. So Hmm. yeah, it's, uh, I could wax on about BDSM or just even just the DS component of BDSM for hours because I think it's um DS is the dominant submissive exactly yeah so it's very um so it's I think it's really reflective of the position that uh one holds in life and how they see themselves the whole premise for me at least with BDSM is the it's, it, it provides a space where you're allowed to be as free as you want to be because it's the one place where the taboos, no matter how taboo, may you not only we find acceptance, but they may be celebrated. It's the one place where you can shed the, the mask that you have in society and be someone completely different or even just be your true self. Um, so from, it's, it's so much deeper than just, say, a person who's holding a whip or a nipple clamp, or mm. someone kneeling at the feet of another person. It's it's just, it's so vast. And I have I have a lot of good things to say about it. Because mm. it's, it's one of those things where literally... It's very therapeutic, isn't it? Yeah, it, it can be. And mm. when I first came in contact with BDSM, I had such an uncomfortable reaction to it, because I was just like, what is this craziness <laughs> that I am looking at? Mm. And... For me, any time that something happens where I'm so has such a strong visceral reaction to it, especially if it's one that's uh, that's steeped in discomfort, I know it's something that I have to explore for myself. Yeah. Because now I have to understand why do why does this make me so uncomfortable, and then maybe after exploring it a little bit, start to do the work to dismantle that discomfort and really try and understand it. Yeah. And so yeah, that's what happened with me with this. Um, that's very Jungian. 
But um, <laughs> no, but there are, you know, triggers or, you know, mm-hmm. reflections of what's going on in ourselves. Oh, yeah. But um, but I, I'm looking at the clock. I, I think I need to have you back for a second. Uh, oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> the time. Whenever, whenever but, you want me to come back on. Cool. So how do you think it went so far? Oh, I love this. Me too. I love this. This is such a good conversation. I, I love this. I have goosebumps actually right now because, like <laughs> I said, this is something I'm super passionate about. And being able to have this conversation, such a healthy dialogue, it's yeah. just, it's wonderful. So Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, so uh, let's, let's take, take a break, break and then we'll go okay. through some, some more fetishes, okay? okay? Awesome. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 